Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. Thank you, Lord. Whew. Now this is, uh, let me get set up. This is, uh, I don't want to come across as, <laughs> it's being hard this morning, but in fact, let me just start out with a little prophecy. Maybe that'll break the ice, okay? Uh, sorry. Stanton, I saw you up there worshiping and going after God. And I saw you just declaring things over the body. And I just saw like lightning bolts, like arrows just coming out of your hand. And so I just, what I felt like God said in that is that He's given you a new level of discernment and that what you're doing up here matters and that you're going to be able to see what folks are battling. You're going to be able to see in the Spirit in new ways. You're going to see things that they're going through and you're going to be able to pray for them and, and those arrows of the Word of God mightily being slung out of His people and it's going to take the head off the enemy that they're fighting. Okay? Anyway, so I do believe, Lord, thank you for coming today, that I, I do have a, a very clear prophetic assignment in here today. And I believe that this church is at a very crucial, really just a pivotal moment in the life of, of this body, and that the, really a fork in the road, if you will. That the last 10 years in the wilderness, so to speak, has what God was really up to is that he was preparing a heart within his people to respond to this word that we're going to hear today. You can be cynical about the prophetic if you want to, or you can do what I think you're going to do, and that is you're going to receive this word with a childlike faith, and it's going to empower that word to come to pass in your life. Do you receive that? Okay, so do I. So, I know you're probably wondering why I got this sword. With me, this belonged to my uh, great great grandfather, uh, Dr. Thaddeus Hawkins. He was a uh, a pediatric physician in Griffin. And in my opinion, it's hard to hold this sword in this microphone, but this sword right here is a really good representation of the church in America today. In other words, it looks just like a sword from its outward appearance. But when you open it up, and you take a closer look at it, it's lost its edge. It's dull. You see that? So it looks like a sword. It ought to cut, but it won't cut butter, I promise you. I mean, maybe. Smash it. Okay? <laughs> well, Christians in America are just like this church. I mean, just like this sword. So is the church. In other words, it's lost its edge. What does that mean? In other words, we've lost the thing that puts the edge on the sword. And that's the presence of God. Are you with me? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit and His presence in the life of the believer and in the church. In other words, the folks out there in the world are lost and going to hell every day. And we're supposed to be walking around carrying the very thing that they need and all we've got for them is maybe a good word of encouragement or a sweet little prayer, but we don't have the ability within us to give them a true encounter with the living God. Are you with me? Now, I didn't come in here to beat you up over the head today, so please don't receive me that way. I've had to eat this word myself, okay? 
All right, so I don't just, you know, excuse myself from this little lesson. I've, this has been my quiet time with the Lord for three months, okay? So I'll just put that out there. So why is it like that? Why have we settled for just good programs and good music, and good worship, no presence? I'll tell you one reason why. It's that many, many people um, and many churches in America don't even believe in the Holy Spirit. They don't believe in Him. They, they believe that that died out with the original apostles. And they don't talk about him. They don't believe that he certainly don't believe that he speaks today in America. Okay, so they don't value. There's absolutely no value placed upon waiting upon the Lord, and that's why we're weak. Isaiah 40 and 31 says that what that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their what strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and do what not faint. So there's no waiting on the Lord. Christians today are depressed, defeated, and discouraged by large, okay? Why is that? We, we have no God consciousness, folks. We're, we are real aware of what our flesh is telling us through our five senses, and we're really aware of our, of our soulless realm, our mind, our will, and our emotion. But we haven't spent enough time alone with God in intimacy to develop our God consciousness. That takes intimacy. That takes spending time alone with Father to develop an ear to hear and an eye to see. Are you with me? So it's no wonder we're defeated, depressed, and discouraged. I believe half the... I won't go out there. That's, that, I just won't say that. But I'll just say this. Many people that are Christians that are struggling with depression and anxiety ought not to be. They're just agreeing with the wrong voice up here. They haven't learned to hear the voice of their father speaking to them and speaking value over them and showing them who they are and amen that enough. Instead, they're agreeing with their flesh. They're agreeing with their soul. Are you with me? The church is, as a whole is weak too because again, I said, like I said, they don't believe. They don't believe he'll show up. or they don't, There's no room for him in our busy schedules. And I'm aware of that clock, but I'm not watching it today. In fact, you can turn it off if you want to because we might be here a while. And this is probably not a seeker-friendly service. Just put that out anyway. All right. But as a church as a whole, we've settled for good things, folks. Good worship, good great buildings, great programs, great devotionals, good prayer, no presence. You know, Tommy Tenney said in his book, God Chasers, that good things, Things are the enemy of God's best. What is His best? It's His Son, Jesus Christ. It's His presence, folks. That's God's best. It's His abiding presence. That's what this is all about. He desires, folks, to abide with you in such a way in your personal life, in your homes, and in your churches that, when, that folks are just drawn to you and their hearts are just melted because you carry so much of the presence of God. And my heart and my spirit is grieved so much when I walk up and down the floors of, the ho of, of, of schools, of hospitals, you name it. And I run across folks in wheelchairs or on sick beds and they look into my eyes and I can see their spirit yearning for the true and living God that I've got inside of me. I ought to carry so much of Him that I walk through hospitals and folks get up out of sick beds. You hear me? That without even laying hands on folks that cancer just dries up. Are you with me? And folks, Father wants that too. That's what John means when he's in here Sunday after Sunday 
hammering the, the pulpit with, you know, there ought to be fresh bread in the house of God. He's talking about the presence of God. In the Old Testament, we see pictures of the tabernacle in the table of showbread, right? The table of showbread, that can be translated for the bread of the presence. Many of you know that. Or face bread. In the New Testament, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? In John chapter 6, I believe it is, yeah, in 35, it says, hey, I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the bread of life. You know, if you eat of me, you believe in me, you'll never hunger or thirst again. Are you following me? All right. So the church should have fresh bread, right? But we don't. We don't have fresh bread, really. We have it to a measure here, and I thank God for it, and I believe it's going to increase. But it won't increase without intimacy. Father is absolutely sick and tired, folks, of long-distance relationships. I like doing that. That's an attention getter. What am I saying? I'm, I'm saying he's tired of folks just, just wanting to date him. Come to church on Sunday, get a good word, go home. That's about it for the week. Are you following me? And, and listen, God was tired of it in Moses' day, so he's sure enough tired of it today. What am I talking about? Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21, I'll read it to you. There it is. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Are you with me? You were right on it this morning, Matt. Wherever you are, you're talking about fear. We, we, we're going to get into that now. The reason that we, uh, in my opinion, that this sword is just like the church and we've lost the edge of the presence of God is there's really two reasons, and they hinge on one thing. And we'll get into two reasons in a minute. But the one primary problem that the church has today, am I going too fast? Y'all tracking with me? We good? All right is that we, we have the wrong attitude as it relates to the fear of God. Okay, let me read to you out of Luke, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. Uh, actually, I think I'm going to skip on down to about verse, uh, let's see, about verse 16. He says, this is talking about um, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And uh, when the angel visited Zacharias in the temple, and you know, let them know basically, hey, John the Baptist, your son's going to be born to you, okay? And he says, this is talking to, you know, Holy Spirit's talking to, to them. He says, he will turn many of the sons, talking about John the Baptist, of Israel back from sin to love and serve the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient, this is what I wanted to get to, the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, which is to what? Seek and submit to the will of God in order to what? Make ready a people perfectly prepared, both spiritually and morally, for the Lord. So the right attitude that we're supposed to have and the answer, I believe, for the church are one and the same. 
and that is to have the proper fear of the Lord. No, I, I know there's some dichotomy there, and I promise you I'm not bipolar, okay? We're going to get to the answer, all right? Because I believe fear is the problem, and it's the answer. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 8, it says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, skipping upon the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he stands before our wall. Say that with me. Our wall. He is looking through the windows, gazing through the lattice. Father wants to deal with fear today. We're going to get into it, okay? Fear is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. So it's an important subject to the Father. But he's, you know, we read scriptures like in Proverbs and in Psalms, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And we, but, but then we get into scriptures like in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, it says, why, we're told, why should you fear a man who can only destroy your body but not your soul? Fear God who can do, destroy both your body and your soul, right? We're told in Philippians 2 and 12 that we're supposed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We're told in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, I believe it is, that we're supposed to perfect holiness in the fear of God. But then we, we, we know other scriptures about that. It's in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7, I believe it is. Yeah. For God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Then we know in 1 John chapter 4 that, we, that you know, there is no fear in love, right? That perfect love casts out fear. For fear involves what? Torment. And he who fears has not been made perfect in what? Love. Bear with me as I turn these pages. So then, the proper fear of the Lord has to be seen through the lens then of love. Are you with me? Because for God, John 3, 16, 17, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn it, but through him might, to save it. Are you following me? So I say it like this. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom then love from God is its completion. Are you with me? That's good. I just dropped a bomb on you right there, folks. Okay? So it's the proper fear of the Lord, in my opinion, is to respect or revere Him. And to revere the Lord is to hold Him in high esteem or place a high value on Him. In other words, it's to honor Him. And that's what I came in here to tell you. It's time for honor in the church. The two reasons there's no presence of God in the church like he wants to be in this church is because we do not honor Holy Spirit. The second reason is we do not honor God's infrastructure for church government in the earth. We do not honor the five-fold gift. We're going to get into that later. But the first thing we're going to talk about, <laughs> I told you it's a hard word, whew, is that it's time to honor Holy Spirit, Okay. He's the only member of the Godhead or the Trinity available to you in this earth. Are you with me? And in the church today, half of them don't believe he exists or that he even speaks today. Most of our worship music is bent in the direction of the Father and the Son, very little of the Holy Spirit. And you start talking about a move of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit come, people kind of look at you with that, you know, that raised eyebrow, you know what I'm saying? But and 
it's no wonder then that there's no, there's no power, that there's no honoring of him. Therefore, we're not waiting on him. Therefore, we don't have any presence and no power, no spiritual growth. Are you following me? Because spiritual growth comes through intimacy. All right? And I get it, folks, that some people are truly afraid of the Lord. We read about that in Moses' day. I hope we put that to bed. But some people, like I mentioned before, just want to date God because really they're afraid of what it's going to mean to their lifestyle if they get too close to God. In other words, they know the Scriptures. They know that Jesus can be apprehended. They know that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, I believe it is, that not, Paul says, not that I have already attained or apprehended, but I do what? I press on to apprehend the one who apprehended me. They know that if they seek after God, he can be found. Okay? But they also know stories like with Jacob where he wrestled with God in, in what is it, Genesis chapter 32. He had an encounter, a real encounter with the Lord, wrestled with him, and, and it changed his walk forever. And so they're afraid that if they get too close to God, they, they wonder what is it going to mean to my life? What am I going to have to give up? What's it going to change? But they forget scriptures where it's written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my name's sake will find it. That's why we got to take up our cross, our cross and follow him because our life is wrapped up in him. Are you with me? Anyway, so intimacy produces growth. And it requires purity. Are you with me? A better way to say that is spiritual growth comes through intimacy because intimacy requires purity. Is that better? Y'all following me? We good? All right. We're supposed to be, you know, raised up and growing as Christians. You with me? In our inner man. Right? We're not supposed to be babes. We're supposed to be growing. Are you with me? Ephesians 2 and 6 mentions that, that and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might display the surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And most folks are, are running around out there and they're, they're not growing in the Lord they're not seeking Him, and they certainly haven't taken their place with Him in the heavenly realms. That's a spiritual process. Are you following me? Okay. In John 15, 2, it says that every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, as you grow with Christ, you're developing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Right? That's the fruit that's supposed to be on the tree. That's part of the growing process. But in John 15, 2, what does he say? He said, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, what? I'm going to cut it off and throw it in the fire. But every branch in me that bears fruit, I'm going to prune. Pruning is a much easier process, I assure you. Which one of these knives would you want coming at you? Let me say it another way. You can fall upon the rock and be broken, or the rock will fall upon you and grind you to powder. Are you with me? It's a heavy word. What's heavy in here? Somebody smile. 
Let me see some teeth. It's going to be good, folks. It's all right. It's, it's much easier, folks, really, and it's our honor to go to the altar and sit at the table with our Lord and say, Father, whatever it is that's in me that's not of you, take that blade out and circumcise my heart afresh and anew because I want more of you. I want to carry more of your presence, Father. I want to be all that you created me to be. Are you following me? Because I tell you, he desires to respond. If we will go to him in that, that place with honor, honor the invitation to get alone with him face to face, allow him to cut the things away that don't belong, and circumcise our hearts afresh and anew so that we can grow up in our inner man, we get him. And we get more of him. I'll prove it to you. In Revelations chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. To the one who is victorious, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. It gets even better than that. In Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, it says in my Bible to be ready for service. It says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Then you will be like servants waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door for him at once. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds on the watch when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and he himself will come and wait on him. That's a great promise, folks. But he's not coming for mere spectators that just want to date him. He's coming for sons and daughters who have gotten along with him in intimacy and prepared their hearts, acknowledged their gifts, brought them to the body as, as unique expressions of him and taken their place as a bride rightfully prepared for her husband. And when the spirit and the bride cry come, He's coming, folks. Are you with me? Boy, it's quiet in here. Who <laughs> is quiet in here? Oh, you know, I'm going to move ahead a little bit. But that's truly the desire of Father's heart, even for this house, is to, to more of Him be poured out in this place. But we don't get to... You know, he, His promises... Towards us, or yes and amen, folks. I get that. But some of the promises of God hinge on your potential. And He's not obligated to fulfill your potential for you. In other words, He's the bread of life, folks. If, if we're going to become what He's called us to become, if we're going to be that expression of the bride of Christ in the earth, we've got to get along with Him. We've got to break the bread. We got to drink the wine. Are you with me? We've got to grow in our inner man. And that takes me to my next point. The second reason that we don't have the presence of God in the church as, as strong as, as we ought to in the earth is because we do not honor God's infrastructure 
for church government. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Ephesians chapter 4. You know, the best thing that I can say about my life, I think, as a Christian, the thing that's helped me the most is that when I got saved, I didn't have a lot of experience with religion. Okay? And what I mean by that, not that religion is a bad thing, folks. I'm thankful for, for parents and grandparents and different ones that came along of all different backgrounds that loved me and spoke the word of life to me, okay? But I didn't have that lens to read that Bible through. Okay, so I just took the word of God at face value and that helped me grow the most because I didn't have to overcome mindsets that weren't in that word. Are you with me? So in Ephesians chapter 4, we read what? That he's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry until we come to the unity of the faith and in the maturity of the body into the fullness of the stature of the man, Christ Jesus. In other words, we grow up. Are you with me? And that hasn't happened yet. We are not unified as a body. I know you all hear that all the time, you know, as far as the entire church as a body. There's some unity in here, okay? But we're also, we're, we're certainly not mature, okay? There's no full expression of the you know, fullness of the stature of the man, Christ Jesus, in the earth right now. So that means, that tells me that those gifts to the church are still in operation, and folks today don't have any problem with pastors, evangelists, and teachers when you start talking about them. But if you start mentioning apostles and prophets, they just kind of go out there on a little trip away from you. They just disconnect, and, and that's enough. And really, it's because they, they don't understand the gifting. They're ignorant of it. Okay? I, I like to explain it like this. John likes to talk about an ambulance scene, and that helps me a lot. I understand it a little better when I talk about electricity, okay? If you, if you were to put that model into electricity, then the, the, Jesus is the power source. He's like the nuclear power plant. Are you following me? Apostles are like your switchboard in your house. In other words, they have the gift to be a father and a mentor to the other ministry gifts. Are you following me? So the power of God just sort of gets filtered through that gift. Are you with me? All right? So that, that's a blessing. That's a gift to the house. Why? Because it brings about growth. And, and, and his gifting is, is to help mentor and grow the other gifts. The, uh, the prophet is a lot like, his role is a lot like, um, in other words, he has the ability to, to bring current through the different switches into the different areas of the home. In other words, he, he can bring revelation to different parts of the body when it's needed. Are you following me? Is this is helping anybody? It helps me. All right? Teachers keep us grounded in the Word and in the truth of the revelation that's coming forth. Are you with me? They're the ground. They keep us grounded. Pastors help us get plugged in and connected so that we, we continue to grow and we nourish the Word of God and the giftings of the Are you following me? Is this okay? So they help us get plugged in. And evangelists function outside of the house. They're the ones that are out there running around telling everybody, hey, folks, we don't have to live in darkness any longer. We've got power in the house. There's light in the house. Let me tell you about light. Are you following me? Is this helping in anybody? Because it helps me. So, you know, the reason there's no power in the church today is quite obvious. There's no honor. 
There's no honor for Holy Spirit. There's no honor when he has that. He's, he's constantly at the door knocking and, and wanting to come in and sup with us, and, and we just push him off. Okay? And we also don't honor God's government. And I'm telling you today, I've come in the, in the, in the spirit of Elijah, so to speak, just like John the Baptist, out preaching in the wilderness, and I'm telling you it's time for us to repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Are you following me? Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Are you with me? It's time for us to repent and begin to show honor where honor is due. Honor Holy Spirit in our lives and honor the gifting that he's placed in this earth for us. Especially in this house. It's pivotal. Okay? And I'll tell you something else. You know, I, I know who I am. I, you know, I met an older gentleman at the gym last night and he got to talking to me and he's, you know, he's, are you a, are you a pastor? And I said, no, sir. And it's kind of hinged on that, you know, waiting. And, and it, all, it was all right, you know. I, I didn't tell him I was a prophet because I, he's 70-something years old and he's a, I think he's a Methodist minister and I just didn't want to go there with him, okay? I just wanted to love on a man. I got a little you know, general relationship with him. He's a, he's a good fellow. But anyway, you know, I know who I am, folks. I know where I come from. I know what my role is in the earth today. And I know where I'm going to spend eternity. I know where I'm going. Do you? Do you? I sound like Billy Graham. I know where I come from, who I am, and where I'm going. I think he said that a lot. But I'm telling you, it's just because of the cross of Calvary, folks. It's because Jesus Christ who said that there's no greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for his brothers. And that's what my father did for me on the cross some 2,000 years ago when he shed his blood for me. And he shed his blood for you too. Okay? But that was so that we could be reconciled back to the Father. That's so that we could have a relationship with him. And we don't take that serious enough in America today. We don't honor his presence enough. Are you with me? I didn't come in here to rebuke you and hit you over the head, but, but this message just that God laid on my heart, it was a rebuke to me. Okay? My father's not harsh. But he desires to pour himself out on us in such a way. that, it, But it won't come if we don't respond to him in intimacy. Okay? And it won't come if we don't honor the fivefold gifting. So I want to read something to you out of this book. This book is by Danny Silk. If you don't know him, he's one of the pastors that's been with Bill Johnson for years. And I want to talk to you a little bit about honor. And then we're going to move into some... Some prophecy, if that's all right. It says, uh, Honor is one of the most vital core values for creating a safe place where people can be free. Honor protects the value that people have for those who are different than they are. This core value is central in, a, in an apostolic culture because the fivefold pattern of ministry is built around understanding valuing and making room for the different graces that rest upon and flow through different people. Free people cannot live together without honor. And conversely, honor can only be used successfully among powerful people who have a true sense of their personal responsibility in, pers in preserving the freedom around them. In other words, folks, honor enables a person to be released to develop 
their gifting, and it puts a conviction on them that brings personal responsibility to, to recognize that they are uniquely gifted and valuable to the body of Christ as each one of you are. And you get along with Father, you develop that gift, and you bring it here to, to take your place in the body of Christ. Are you with me? That's how we mature as the body. That's how we become the expression of the bride in the earth. Y'all all right? So we're going to do just that today. We're going to do just that thing today because I believe that it is time for us to show honor. So I'm going to read something else to you. And then we're going to move into the, into the prophetic. Apostolic leaders are focused on heaven. And their mission is to see heaven's supernatural reality established on the earth. They long to see the evidence of heaven's touch in the environment they lead or influence. Heaven, having this motivation at the foundation of a church, leads to an entirely different emphasis in the church's governing priorities. The apostle will make the presence of God, the worship of God, and the agenda of heaven the top priorities. An apostolic government is designed to protect these priorities. The apostle Paul refers to himself as the master builder in 1 Corinthians 3 and 10. This is a translation of the Greek word architection, the word from which we derive the English word architect. Now I want you all to think back to New Year's Eve services while I read what I'm about to read, because you've heard this before. This perfectly describes the role of the apostolic ministry. It is as though God himself has given blueprints to certain individuals to reproduce heaven on the earth. Along with this blueprint, the anointing of the apostle contains a quality that stimulates and draws to the surface the diverse anointings in the people around him. As those around the apostle begin to manifest their own unique anointing, it creates an environment of subcontractors who help the master builder realize the blueprints of heaven. In other words, I said it before, apostles are fathers with the grace to mentor, mentor the other ministry gifts. Are you with me? And so with that, John, if you'll come up here, please. If you don't mind, I've had a hard time, sir, calling you Pastor John. Sir? Sure. If someone wants to go to the keyboard, that'd be awesome. Because that's, I've had a hard time saying that. that you, Pastor John, Pastor John, I've had a hard time saying that, sir, because that's not who you are. That's not who you are to me. As I, you know, read this book, started it in January, and began to seek the Lord, and then you asked me to, to speak up here. As I'm reading this book, those words came alive to me, and I realized that you're the apostle. That's who you are. Okay? And uh, that's all right. I honor him today. He deserves it. And Father sent me in here, you didn't know I was going to do this, um, to honor you today as my apostle. And he sent me with a gift that I'm going to give you. So today, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. I acknowledge you, sir. I honor you and receive the gift that you are to this body of believers and to the kingdom of God. To this church, I want to tell you that the blessing of God and great provision is coming 
to this house because of the gift of this apostle. I was walking the streets of Athens and I, and I almost fell down because I went out in the spirit and I saw this man releasing, just opening his hand in blessing. And I saw the blessing of God and the provision of God coming. It, it was so much, it was overwhelming. I had to stop and just lean up against the, the building that I was walking beside and just kind of hang out there with, with God a minute. And he said that it's because this man doesn't have an oppressive grip on his sons. His hand is open to release them and who they've called to be. Are you with me? And that's going to bring about great provision and blessing for this house. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media.